Therefore, I must intimate with you and lie in your bed with you, daughter. You greatly desire to see me and you may boldly, when you are in bed, take me to you as your wedded husband and as your dear darling and as your sweet son. For I want to be loved as a son should be loved by the mother. And I want you to love me, daughter, as good wife ought to love her husband. In the 15th century, writing what is considered to be the first autobiography in the English language, Marjorie Kemp wrote that spicy quote. Now, if you feel a bit confused about why intimacy, fathers, daughters, sons, mothers, and desire are all squished together into the space of five lines, I don't blame you. We're going to talk about it. Hello, welcome to Not That Smart, the podcast where we look to grow and share knowledge without pressure. I'm your host, Aransa, and today we're talking about medieval women, sexuality, and the long-standing tradition of writing spicy fan fiction. From fantasies about Jesus on the cross, yep, you heard that right, all the way to Formula One. That's right, we're getting into some strange stuff today, but hopefully also some really interesting stuff, at least I think so. So back to the quote. Marjorie Kemp is perhaps the best known of the female medieval mystics, which is simply a very academic way of saying that she was a writer who was convinced she received divine messages from Jesus. I've been thinking about this woman since I was 19. Why? Because when I was in university, I read a whole lot of medieval literature. I love this stuff. Still do today. So when a course came around focusing on medieval literature written by women, I was all over it. Enter into my life, Marjorie Kemp and her Jesus fan fictions. I'm being kind of cynical, of course. The book of Marjorie Kemp is this hugely important text in the English language. It provided one of the only windows into the life of middle-class women in the 15th century. There's a huge canon of work out there about Marjorie Kemp. There's debates on whether she genuinely thought that she was a mystic or was using visions as a literary device. There's praise for her influence over life writing, better known as biological or biographical work. Or there's deep dives analysis into her friendship with other female poets like Julian and Norwich. And there is indeed much to be said about this remarkable woman who, despite being illiterate, is responsible for one of the best known books ever. But I want to explore Marjorie from a different angle, perhaps a sillier one today. The reason I've been thinking a lot about Marjorie Kemp for years is that when I studied her in uni, we focused a lot on the symbols of sexuality in her book, and there are a lot of them. During one of our seminars, one of the lecturers in the course made this passing comment, which I am sure was meant to be a joke, and they compared Marjorie's texts to fan fiction. (laughs) And where people's reactions around me were just to laugh it off and kind of move on, I thought, hold on a moment, why aren't we talking about this? Because the book of Marjorie Kemp creates a situation in which Jesus, truthfully, the ultimate celebrity of the times, is romanticized and sexualized. He comes into contact with one of his fans and he engages in what I can only describe as a slow burn, soulful romance in which Marjorie herself is referred to as, quote, this creature. And that, my friends, has fan fiction written all over it. Now, you might hear that and find yourself horrified. How dare I compare this important text to fan fiction? But you would be misunderstanding my meaning here. My intention is not to bring the book of Marjorie Kemp down by linking it to fan fiction, but rather to bring fan fiction up by linking it to Marjorie Kemp. 
not because I think that modern fan fiction is some groundbreaking phenomenon of literary magnitude, but because I think that fan fiction is less strange than what we are prepared to admit in modern time. The reimagining and the retelling of stories could be said to be an essential part of storytelling. And I think that while a lot of people like to dismiss fan fiction for its crudeness and anti-originality principle, it points to something interesting and important in the artistic manifestation of young women and actually just young people's sexuality. Currently, the longest fan fiction recorded in archive of our own, a website that is pretty much fan fiction central or capital, is 5.7 million words long. That is roughly equivalent to 19,000 pages by modern publishing standards. This mammoth of a text is a Tolkien fanfiction about an Irish lawyer that finds themselves entangled with the hidden remains of the elven world in modern times. At least this is what the internet told me because there's absolutely no way that I'm going to read 19,000 pages to find out. Now, if you're familiar with fanfiction or you've heard about before, it will not come to you as a surprise to hear that these texts guests much more spicy than anything J.R.R. Tolkien ever wrote, at least anything that we know he wrote. It's spicy, like habanero level spicy, and it would be the exact thing that literary purists express worry about when the topic of fanfiction comes up. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think they're not thinking about fanfiction enough. Recently, a sociological study by Dr. Meredith Williams at the University of Humboldt looked at how fan fiction provides a platform for the people who write and who read it, most of whom are young women, to safely explore, develop, and really crucially express their sexuality, their coming-of-age struggles, and even their worldviews. And this is what I want to focus on, because I think that there is a relationship between the book of Marjorie Kemp describing her desire for Jesus's manhood. I'm not even making this up. She talks about it a lot or her writing this quote, Our Lord Jesus languishes for love. Those words so worked in her mind that when she heard the perfect love that our Lord Jesus had, she could not longer keep the fire of love enclosed within her breast. And modern fanfiction writing stuff about Harry Styles or Harry Potter or whichever other Harry you want that is frankly just too spicy for me to say out loud. Throughout history, if one thing has remained constant is women finding sneaky little ways to live and learn about their sexuality despite its policing. And while it has looked very different depending on the time, class, race, and country, writing has always been a tool in that expression. So we've talked a little bit about the medieval period. To me, strange as it may seem, it makes all the sense in the world that Jesus was the locus of this sexual expression that women had otherwise no figure to direct towards. See, in the book of Marjorie Kemp, the only other male figure that we get a really vivid description of is her husband. Marjorie was married at 20. She had 14 pregnancies in her life. And in the text, we find out that throughout her life, Marjorie endured years of sexual violence from her husband. She was trapped, trapped between this Christian ideal of chastity and the fact that she wanted to be a good Christian woman and ultimately the fact that she was just a sexual being. So where could she safely express and explore that? And whom could she trust with that vulnerability? Well, Jesus, obviously. And don't get too hung up on the fact that this is Jesus we're talking about. 
see him rather as sort of an idealized man, a man written through the female gaze, if you will. But it's not just about the medieval period in which we get this quasi fanfiction written by women or men. Indeed, most of the folklore and oral storytelling traditions of the world are, when you get very technical about it, fan fiction. Remember that copyright laws weren't even a thing for most of literary history. During the Renaissance period, the number of women who could write obviously grew a lot. One such lady was Gaspara Stampa. Widely, she's regarded as one of the greatest woman poets of the Renaissance. Stampa's home was one of the first literary circles in Renaissance Europe. I hate that phrase, by the way, woman poet. I guess it's just poet. If you listen to the episode in book clubs that I did, she lived in what would be essentially a proto-Paris salon. And Stampa wrote a lot of spicy stuff, but not about Jesus. For Stampa's time, the aristocracy was sort of the closest thing that you get to celebrity. Everyone knew about it. Everybody talked about it. Everybody had a crush on someone. Stampa wrote extensively about her relationship with Count Colaltino de Colalto. He has some great alliteration in his name. Crucially, her writing wasn't always about what actually happened between them, and she often portrayed accounts or interactions between them born out of her imagination. Here's a short taste of her descriptions of her story with Nicolalto. Enough. Not a word can I intone, for that divine incubus never quits. Sapping my strength, leaving my soul prone. Oh, love, what strange and wonderful fits. One sole thing, one beauty alone, can give me life and deprive me of wits, end quote. When the Sampa and Nicolalto's relationship ended, she fell into a really serious depression. As a so-called ruined woman of her time, it made sense that she felt like her life was done. But then, I don't know why, she decided she was going to go writing again and went back to writing poems about herself and Nicolalto, even though they weren't in a relationship anymore. Only this time, she began a narrative of their relationship in which she continually got the upper hand over him. And that includes often sexually, by the way. These were complex, fully-fledged imaginings of their encounters in which she was the triumphant figure. In the simplest way of describing it, she fan-fictioned herself some vengeance. Or in her own words, If I, who am an abject, low-born woman, can bear within me such lofty fire, why should I not possess at least a little poetic power to tell it to the world? I love that. Throughout her life, she also wrote about other sexual imaginings for good measure, writing versions of herself into situations in the aristocracy that we can only guess were aspirational representations of things that she maybe wanted. Once we get into the 1800s, something really funny happens. The reimagining and expanding of existing literary text into new work becomes part of the contemporary artistic tradition. From neoclassical to Victorian writers in various degrees, it's considered a show of authority in your writing to be able to refer to or expand on the archetypes, the base narratives, the characters, and even the stories that came before you. We get fanfiction about characters like Gulliver from Gulliver's Travels or Pamela by Samuel Richardson. And they too were often spicier than the original texts that the characters inhabited. Of course, to the modern reader, a lot of these would likely feel to be very mild or vanilla. But for their time, there was controversy attached to a lot of these reimaginings. 
Literary scholar Shannon Chamberlain notes that these reimaginings allowed people to essentially express the ways of being that weren't open in the mainstream at the time. And sex, as a persistent social taboo, found its way into these fanfictions over and over again. In fact, the problem of fanfiction was so widespread that copyright kind of came in to save the day. And while this put a stop to some of the formalized spin-off novels referred to as fancies at the time, a good example of this is the 1913 sequels to Jane Austen's work written by a group of fans who call themselves the Janeites. There still were a lot of complications and still are a lot of complications around policing the intellectual material that goes into fan fiction. Now, I already told you about the longest ever fan fiction and archive of our own. Let me tell you about the second longest, because I was very shocked to find out that it's a Formula One fan fiction about Sebastian Vettel and Mark Webber in the Red Bull days. You might not know who these people are, but to me, that's very funny because I'm a fan of Formula One. And I'm not even kidding. By the way, this is an ongoing text, and it's getting close to overtaking the Tolkien one. It's titled Everything Changes. This fan fiction is a romantic story between Seb Vettel and Mark Webber, and it would be categorized as what we know now as slash fan fiction, which is where a writer takes two existing characters, or of course, in this case, real people, and creates a relationship between them. It is very common in modern fan fiction. Some common modern slash pairings are Spock and Kirk, or Draco Malfoy, and Harry Potter, or Hermione, and also Draco Malfoy. I mean, Harry Potter fanfiction is just a whole freaking world of its own, isn't it? But how did we get to this kind of fanfiction now? There are many accounts of what the first example of modern fanfic is. I'm going to say, with zero authority to do so, that once we arrive at self-insert formats of fanfiction, we're en route to modern fanfics. That puts us in the 1920s where none other than the not-yet-president Roosevelt published My First Meeting with Sherlock Holmes in the Baker Street Journal. Now, don't worry, this isn't a spicy fan fiction. In fact, with the growth of popularity of the romance genre and the discontinuation of male pen names for many women writers, the amount of spicy stuff that we get at the time is surprisingly less than we had before. However, the practice of self-insert fanfic And what is referred to as Mary Sue fanfiction, which is, I think, where the protagonist is not the writer, but rather an idealized, thinly veiled version of the writer, as well as last fanfiction, continues to grow throughout the 30s, the 40s, and the 50s. And the society at this time deconstructs some very strict social barriers throughout the post-war period, well into the 70s, spicy fanfiction makes a, a triumphant return. In 1973, a woman called Paula Smith wrote a shocking fan fiction about Star Trek, which became so widespread, it kickstarted a whole subgenre within sci-fi. Mary Sue slash and self-insert fan fiction spread across speculative genres, becoming increasingly sexual in nature at this time. The writers of these texts, in their majority young women, sometimes honestly very young women, write themselves into sexual situations that are either aspirational or exploratory. And many people think that because of this, fan fiction is inherently bad or, you know, it's low art, it's crass. But I think there is something interesting happening. In speculative fiction, people create an alternative set of circumstances to that of their original reality. 
They can imagine characters who are the opposite of the people that they know. They give their Mary Sue selves the qualities and abilities and dynamics that they wish they had in real life. And in my mind, it makes a lot of sense that women and queer folk dominate the space. In the world of fan fiction, men are written through the female and the queer gaze. Women as well. And their romance and their power dynamics reflect that. In the world of fan fiction, sexuality and gender don't need to be heteronormative. In the world of fan fiction, the stuff that young people worry about experiencing in life doesn't have to exist. But don't take it from me. Dr. Meredith Williams' research found that the demographics of fan fiction are actually a fairly even spread across gender and sexual identity. And that this demographic, one, largely feels a lot safer exploring their sexual desires and interests in the world of fan fiction than in other common spaces where young people learn about sex, such as pornography. And two, they don't carry what they read in fan fiction into their lives because they recognize that it isn't parallel to real life, potentially because it's explicitly expressed as fiction. Dr. Williams says in her conclusion, quote, there is much to be learned about identity performance and construction in fandom behaviors. As I've shown, this is particularly true for those who struggle to find themselves in mainstream media, end quote. So modern fan fiction can facilitate discussions of sexuality and gender identity, topics that may not be appropriate for other social spheres. For people especially who feel like they don't have any other outlet because they're not at the center of society. Going back to where we started with Marjorie Kemp, I think one day we're going to look back and see Harry Potter, Tolkien, and even Formula One fan fiction as indicative of a space where people needed to create circumstances and characters for them to be able to freely explore, express, and develop their sexualities safely. And while the figure that allowed Kemp to do that may have been Jesus Christ, because for her world, that would have been who would be able to accept and forgive her sinful desires. People find the same in a reimagining of a four-time German Formula One world champion. If we're willing to be open-minded and perhaps a little silly, it's not that different from Kemp. <laughs> yeah. Alongside all of this, I also think it is slightly or simply Mad weird to be angry about people writing fanfiction, to be honest with you. Even if it's badly written, even if it makes you uncomfortable, I guarantee you that there is a lot in the mainstream literary canon that is also very badly written and should absolutely make you very uncomfortable. So there you go. <laughs> a tracking of the history of spicy fanfiction from Jesus all the way to Drive to freaking survive. If you're weird like me and you think this is an interesting idea, all my sources are in the show notes and episode description below. I hope that you enjoyed some of what I said and that you'll consider giving me a wee like or a subscribe depending on where you're listening to this. If you're keen to keep this community vibe alive, you can find me on socials at Aranzai, A-R-A-N-T-Z-A-I. I'm in the middle of restructuring my socials, so users might change, but that's where you can find me now. Just as when this started, I'm still Aranza Sally, and this is still not that smart. <laughs> I hope that you'll choose to come back and join me for another episode. Thanks again for listening, and catch you next time. Cheers. <laughs>